Hey everybody, this is Dominic D'Angelo of WrestleZone.com. Today's date is April 27th, 2021, and I'm happy to have with me here, I gotta say, like, the jack of all trades, or the king of many, let's just say, uh, Les Thatcher. Les, thanks for joining me today, brother. <laughs> well, holy 61. So that's, God bless you. Jeez, that's being like almost three twice over. Almost twice over. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah 19, 1960 is when I broke into business. Wow. Well, I'll start off with this then. So doing a little bit of the research, I noticed you were the NWA 1967 Rookie of the Year. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. That's correct. So was there uh, added pressure onto you and was there like some... Uh, animosity towards you for winning that, or were people supportive? How how did that kind of work out for you being the rookie year? Like, know that there was any animosity? Yeah, I, I, I felt it kind of put pressure on me. Yes, uh, probably nobody was any more surprised than I was um, because it was uh, actually I was I was working the Mobile territory at the time was owned by Lee Fields. <clears throat> Excuse me, and so they were having a tag team tournament in Dothan, Alabama, and I had uh, at the time. Roger Kirby, Dennis Hall, and I worked the gimmick as the cousins for several years. And during this period, when I got into Mobile, uh, you'll like this story. Uh, Rocky McGuire, you know, uh, Bobby Shane was being a teenage sensation in Atlanta at the time. Mm -hmm. And Leo Garibaldi was a booker. So uh, Kirby and Hall and I had been over in Louisiana and, and, and working uh, programs over there as the cousins. So when we got ready to come back into Mobile, uh, Rocky McGuire was the booker, said, I'm going to do so different. Keep Dennis and Roger together, but I'm going to make mute you, my 17-year-old teenage sensation. And I looked at him like he was nuts <laughs> because his 17-year-old teenage teenage sensation was 26 years old. <laughs> I was, yeah. But I looked, you know, the point, uh, you know, uh, shook me up more than anything as we got away with. <laughs> right. Of course, it killed my it killed my social life now. Oh, I could imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> no way. So, uh, so anyway, uh, so the, they're having a tag team tournament in Dothan, and uh, Eddie Graham and Sam Steamboat are coming in to, to be a team, and Les Welch came too. So I guess Rocky, because both of us are named Les, uh, teamed me up with Les Welch, and we were tag team partners on the Dothan card. And the next night, we were in a, in a uh, small Florida town, and uh, so... I guess this had all been worked out with Eddie and Lester and uh, Rocky McGuire at the time, and they came to me and said, we have discussed this with Rocky, and uh, we need you to uh, come to Tampa, and here's your starting date. And I'm just sitting there, huh, because you are the NWA rookie of the year. And I said, whoa. <laughs> well, you know, here's the crazy thing. The Tampa territory at that time, Don, uh, you know, that's, that's where the the wrestlers went, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, they sold serious wrestling. I mean, all the territories had their gimmicks and stuff, and, and Tampa had theirs, but it was all about wrestling and serious stories and serious heat. And so would I have liked to go? Was I excited to go? But, yeah, but at that particular time, now I had been working, excuse me, uh, just going into my seventh year, 
served all NWA territory in, during that uh, year before, so I guess that was part of the reason too. But uh, I would have never sent a resume or called Tampa at that point to say, "Hey, I want to come in," because I wasn't sure that I belonged there. You know? Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, that that's how it all started. So yeah. So I finished up in Mobile and, and went into Tampa, and uh, that's that's actually how I met Gordon and and how I really did. that was kind of the reason that I decided I wanted to do broadcasting. You know, when the wrestling deal was done, uh, because you know back then. So many of the commentators were just the local kiddie show host or, or weatherman or something like that. And for the most part, they were getting themselves over, right? I mean, because they, they were probably getting 25, 50 bucks to do an hour show. Sure. And so, you know, you, you, you tolerated it because you realized they weren't part of the business. And, and of course, you realize also back then, the business was totally kayfabe. I mean, you know, it was, it was a closed shop. So anyway, when I heard Gordon and then, I thought, wow, here's somebody that, you know, he's selling the business like it should be sold. And then he and I got to be buddies over uh, something, I mean, besides the fact that we both were in love with the wrestling business, we both were in love with, with racing. And he was part owner of the Gold Gate Speedway over in St. Petersburg at the time, a roundy round track, uh, a dirt uh, stock car track. And I had been, uh, I started driving uh, on drag strips when I was 15 years old before I ever had a drive. I was going to ask you about that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, so we hit it off, and that's what decided me that I wanted, uh, you know, to get into broadcasting, so Tampa did a lot of things for me, and I think, looking back on it, I, I did okay down there, I think part of the problem, I was so used to uh, being led, mm -hmm. that I never got aggressive enough, and, and I'm looking back at it now, right, 10,000 years later, but I've, I, believe it or not, I've thought about that, okay? recent times and I thought that you know of course we didn't stay Kirby came in later and we teamed up and then uh, we ended up going back into the Carolinas uh, uh, later on but yeah but it was a good experience because we got to work with some great people and when you're around Eddie Graham who was one of the uh, great Finnish guys in the world and uh, you know so yeah it was, it was good and, and of course people talk about it and I, I, I got to remember it myself, it's a work, but um, when I got my uh, Hall of Heroes uh, induction at Charlotte a few years ago, J.J. Uh, Dillon, who he and I tagged him years ago, uh, for a while became, you know, been friends ever since. Oh, wow. Uh, he, he inducted me, you know, or introduced me, and he mentioned the, the Rookie of the Year thing, and, and he said, you might know a couple of the names of the people he beat out, Bobby Shane and Terry Plummer. <laughs> Wow. And, I, and I've always said, yeah, I got trophy and they got all the money. <laughs> gee whiz. <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> well, gee, that's what I would, yeah, it's, uh, you talked about commentary and obviously Gordon Sully is like one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. And that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about because you broadcast with the who's who of names, like from him to Bob Cottle to uh, Lance Russell to Jim Ross even, right? Um, yeah, and I don't know, Charlie Platt and Dothan, and I want to mention Charlie because most people don't mention him when they talk about, you know, top-line play-by-play uh, -play guys. Charlie was very good. I worked with him down there briefly later on when Fuller bought that territory down there as well. Uh, but yes, you know, I've said, that, I said, they said, well, you did, you know, I said it was hard not to be good. Yeah. Right? When you're working with the, the uh, uh, 
you know, the best than the best. I mean, hell, how, how can you not, you know, not learn from guys like that? And yeah, and it was, uh, it, it's, I've been blessed, Tom, through the entire 61 years. I mean, so I think the 60s and 70s, to me, that was the golden years. You can say what you want about the current or, you know, or whatever, but I got to work with some of the greatest workers of all time in the ring. And then if, if Soli, Cottle, Russell, and Jr. aren't the Mount Rushmore announcers, then I haven't. I don't know who they are. All right. And uh, you know, and 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 I feel like I can sit back there in the fifth or sixth spot if I want to. But, <laughs> you know, if I blow a little smoke for myself, if you don't. Mind. Hey, that's a okay. But, you got to get yourself yeah. over. <laughs> yeah, working with those guys was uh, always a pleasure. But you know, getting into into the business as a commentator was actually by accident the way it started. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Okay, well, I, I Rudy Kay, um, who, uh, Leo Burke's brother, they're, they're all named Cormier's, but the Beast, Rudy Kay, Bobby Kay, uh, and Leo Burke were all, all brothers from a big family in the Maritime provinces of, of Eastern Canada. Yeah. And so Rudy and I, Rudy and I were next door neighbors in the Carolinas in the, in the uh, late 60s and traveled a lot together. And of course, you know, when you're in the, on, in the car on the road, you talk about God knows everything and anything. So anyway, um, he uh, called me and said, uh, well, I make use of you up here for, for the season, which ran April to October. And I said, yeah, I'd love to come up. So I went up in 1970. It was just a wrestle. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, so anyway, uh, on into the season, um, his announcer uh, lived in um, – or his home was in Toronto, and there was a death in his family, and so he had to travel home, which I knew, but it, you know, I didn't that didn't involve me. So we, we lived in Moncton, New Brunswick, and we wrestled in Moncton on Monday night, then we went to Halifax on Tuesday for a house show, stayed over at the TV on Wednesday morning. And uh, so anyway, Rudy calls me in the middle of the afternoon on a Monday, and just to shoot the breeze initially, and then he said, oh, you know, well, we're running down the roads in the Carolinas. You mentioned that how uh, you might like to, uh, you know, try uh, commentary and stuff. And I said, yeah, I remember that. He said, well, uh, when you're packed for uh, Halifax tomorrow, he said, bring a sport coat and a tie. <laughs> I said, why? He said, because you're going to be you're the host of the show. And now, the Cormier, all the boys are noted for being rivers, right? Mm -hmm. So I, at first I'm thinking, okay, you're going to want me to bring dress clothes and dress up and end up at TV and everybody say, surprise, we ripped you, right? Yeah. Kiss my butt, Rudy, I'm not doing <laughs> right? And so finally he convinced me he was serious, right? So, uh, Dom, at that point, this 1970, I've been in business 10 years before, and I've done interviews, but I've never hosted a show. I've never read a format. Um, you know, I've never segued in or out. And here we are. Just, <laughs> and, ooh. you know, back then, there weren't broadcast teams. You were by just, I mean, you may have a heel come out and sit with you, you know, for a while. But so that was the way I got started. And then after a uh, couple of weeks, Rudy uh, called me and he said, look, he said, I'm, you're doing a hell of a job. I'm going to leave the guy in Toronto. I want you to finish out the season. I'll, you know, I'll figure you in extra money over and above what we, you know, your guarantee for the rest for wrestling and for the TV. And I said, okay. So that's how it all got started. It's, you know, quite by accident. Wow. 
Wow. How about that, too? And, like, just going into that, like, baptism by fire, I mean, who? That's, like, right, you're right in the thick of the action, and now you kind of know you're capable of doing that, then, after the fact. <laughs> that yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I had done, I was, when I was a kid, I loved the old, in the, in the 50s, rock and roll in the early 60s, the, the, the DJs, right? And I always thought I'd like to be a rock, you know, like Wolfman Jack. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, So that's quite the way to start too. And then just, yeah, it's, it's gotta be rewarding to kind of look back on that and just see everybody that you've worked with and how you've kind of, I'm sure progressed throughout that time too, you know, as a commentator yeah. and what you learned. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, when I came back to the States in the, at the uh, in October of 70, I, I'd been in Nashville and I went back in there for a while. Then I hooked up uh, and went into Tampa because Garibaldi was booking down. Leo was a mentor to me and, and one of the greatest bookers ever. But so anyway, so we're in Tampa for a while, and we, uh, Louis Tillette, who was also in the office there, calls me, and he said, uh, Charlotte is looking for a number two babyface team. And he said, I see, uh, recommended you and Danny Miller. I don't know what, probably because we're both Buckeyes, both Ohio boys. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he said, Are you? And I said, sure, because I've worked in, in the territory twice, been used well. And uh, to be the number two babyface team, hell yeah, you know, we knew that's a good spot. So Danny and I uh, went up there, and so we're wrestling, and and, uh, and they're, you know, putting us over, and we're doing a good job. And so I'm in the office one day, and Lord Littlebrooks and the midgets were in. Yeah. And Brooke was in the office when I got there, and we're talking to uh, Mr. Crockett, Jim Sr. And uh, Brooke says, uh, Mr. Crockett, why is it Les? I can't do the English accent on it. Why is it Les? on your TV. And Mr. Crockett looked at him and he said, well, he is on my TV. What are you talking about? No, no. He said, I don't mean wrestling as a commentator. <laughs> and Jim just drew a blank, right? And he looks at me and looks at a broken book. Oh my God, Mr. Crockett, he did Rudy's TV last year up in the, uh, the Maritimes and did a heck of a job. Mr. Crockett said, well, you never told me. I said, well, you never asked. I you were interested, right? Yeah, sure. So, so he, uh, he said, uh, you want to try it? And I said, well, if you want me to. So at first, I, I would like, I'd sit in with Bill Ward on the Charlotte show, and I'd go sit in with uh, George Harville in, in High Point in North Carolina, and then, uh, you know, eventually with uh, Bob up in Raleigh. And uh, so then I, I fell into that, too, you know. Uh, and so, you know, and so the rest is history, I guess, is the best way to put it. So then I, you know, I got involved with more in the office there and the magazines and, uh, that production and, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, but it seems like, you know, things happen by accident. I became a trainer quite by accident. Man, geez. Yeah. All right. Talk about that too. Let's hear that. How'd that happen? Well, I was, um. After, after I had uh, hung up the tights in 1980 and I stayed, you know, I was still uh, traveling around here. My dad passed away in 82. So uh, in 1985, I decided to move back to Cincinnati and, you know, be, be my mom, help my mom 
as, as best I could. Sure. So I've been working around the gym business, working with bodybuilders and stuff. And so I went to work uh, for John Perillo at Perillo Performance as a, as a trainer of bodybuilders. And so, uh, I don't know if you ever, uh, Bob Harmon, the, the original beautiful Bobby, he was with WWF, but he's a Cincinnati boy. Okay. And Ernie Roth used to manage him, uh, Abdullah Farouk, and, or, uh, whatever the hell name Ernie might have used around. But anyway, so Bob calls me one day and starts to tell me about this guy that he knows who's got a wrestling school in Cincinnati. And uh, he's got an idiot for a trainer, and that these kids are going to end up leaving if he doesn't get somebody that knows what they're doing. And so I'm listening to all this, and I said, okay. I said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, why are you telling me all this? He said, because you're the guy I think should be the trainer. I said, are you out of your friggin' mind? <laughs> I've got, you know, because I honestly, I wasn't really interested, Dom. You know, I mean... It, it hadn't crossed my mind, you know. Sure. And so he said, well, do me a favor. He said, they're, they're having a show. Go to the show. So this is my first. Ex now, at the time, I was also doing uh, Corny's uh, TV here in Knoxville, you know, for Smoky Mountain. Mm -hmm. or wherever we did it, we did it at different venues, but, you know, based out of here. So I was I was doing, uh, still involved in the wrestling business as well. So... Uh, Anyway, I go to this show, but I, this is, I had never been to an independent show in my life and it was, a, it was cultural shock. Take my word. <laughs> I thought this is what my business has become. <laughs> oh my God. Right. But anyway, I, there's this, these, these are all these kids supposedly from, from this school. And so these two guys are in there and I see the one kid go out and get a chair and I can tell the way he's got the chair, he doesn't know what to do with the damn thing. Oh boy. And so, long story short, he cold-cocks his opponent, and lead, the kid is basically out on his feet. And so, I'm sitting, Bob is sitting between me and the guy who owns the school. And I, I said to Bob, when I saw the kid come back in the ring with the chair, I said, he doesn't know what the hell to do with that. Look at the way he's holding it. Yeah. And so anyway, uh, after the little accident or whatever, uh, I said to Bob, I said, ask uh, I, the owner's name, uh, the owner, I said, ask him how long this kid has been training. And he did, and he said, it's been to three sessions. I said, oh my God, he's got no business being in the ring to start with, and to pick the chair up is totally out of the question. No wonder he cold-cocked the guy. Right. So this made my mind, I'm going to try this. I'm going to give it a try. And so that's how that started, you know. Jeez, that man. Yeah, it's, you're right. Like something just by circumstance or mistake, all that kind of happens. It falls into place. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's like. But then you know, I have guys like uh, Scott Case, Cowboy Scott Casey, who partnered with me some. And, and uh, I taught, uh, when he was green in the business, he came into the Carolinas, and George Scott gave me uh, said, "Here, teach him tag uh, psychology." And so Scott and I became friends. But like I mentioned earlier, JJ and I were tag team partners. Quite frankly, Jay, JJ was a good worker and a good baby face. So, but now Casey and uh, JJ both credit me with educating them some. So, I guess I've been teaching them for a long time. I just didn't have a clue. <laughs> it's always Harry a learning Taylor experience. The same thing. So I was, you know, uh, helpful to him as well. But anyway, so but that's that's how it all started. And then I realized the guy that owned the school was uh, didn't know anything and was just you know basically a con guy himself so that's 
we split, I split off, and that's how HWA began, Heartland Wrestling Association, and so forth and so on, and here we are today, Don. Here we are. Here we are. Well, I got to ask you, too, to circle back around to commentary. Obviously, the landscape of the WWE commentary is different now. Uh, you know, oh, Vince behind the, the headset and stuff and uh, everything. But I do want to get your assessment. How do you feel? Like, I, we talked off the air. Like, I didn't watch Raw last night, but you did. Uh, how do you feel about Adnan Verk and what he's been doing on commentary? He's got a talk about baptism by fire. Are you ribbing me? <laughs> Come on. You, you really want my opinion, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what jumped off the page of me last night. Two things. And the people that write the verbiage for these things need, needs to be castrated or shot or castrated and shot, <laughs> but whatever. Strowman, uh, he's talking to uh, McIntyre, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, you know, uh, you're talking about why I didn't get, you know, I'm the monster among men. And I thought, what the hell are you saying that for? That's, you know. It's like if I've got a nickname as the killer, you know, you know Dom, I'm the killer. Yeah, I'm the killer. If, if, you, if Dom says that or somebody else, that, but here's Stroke, I'm the, you know, the, the monster among men. I thought, oh, for you to say that is just dumb. And then in a, in the, uh, in a match, uh, the announcer, the, 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 the great ESPN guy is – <laughs> Strowman went to, uh, to go for a power slam, and the guy says, "Oh no, it's the running power slam." And I thought, "Oh Christ!" <laughs> but, but it was so melodramatic, you know, like, "Haha, dishonest John," you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like so melodramatic. And I thought, "Come on, man!" But see, to me, now we're, we're, we're talking about something current. And I think across the board, and of course, I'm sure the pandemic has something to do with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see talents on my television that have no business being on anybody's television. That's in AEW, that's in WWE. I don't, I'm not in a position, well, I guess if I got on the the fight network, I could watch Ring of Honor. And and I stopped watching Impact when they decided that uh, Allie was dying. Before, when she left it. Oh, the, gosh. The yeah, that kind and of I stuff. I said, that's is... enough. Jimmy, Jimmy's smoking better stuff than I am. I, <laughs> I'm done here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, but, you know, you, all the, there's, I see guys on TV that have no business being on television. And girls, too. Um, I... You know, they're not ready. And, and, and But, again, I'm saying I think that, in part, is due to the pandemic and of course these companies aren't announcing we've got 20 people sick or two people sick or any people sick but where they are they if they're not sick right that's part of it too yeah i think it's you know, it's, but uh, yeah that's so there's there's my problem the, uh, you know is with seeing too many guys who and now where how did how these guys get experience besides being in the schools they get experience by working out because less there are no house shows that's not my fault yeah, I didn't create this pandemic. Although I did, I had uh, COVID pneumonia uh, around the first of the year. I wanted, yeah, I wanted and, to ask you about that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't want to know anything <laughs> at all about that. But, but seriously, you know, it, it's to me, your TV is your advertisement. 
Right. And, uh, well, I'll give you a match that uh, exactly on AEW, uh, was it this past week or the week before? It doesn't matter. You'll remember it when I tell you. Hobbs and Christian. Yes. We know Christian can work his ass off, right? Or at least he could. I guess he still can. And Hobbs is a rookie. Right. He's green. And the, the match was mediocre at best. And that was because of the Christian had to lay back and wait for Hobbs. Or, you know, if Hobbs was, you know, or, or cover Hobbs' mistakes if he could. And that's not valuable to you selling me tickets or merchandise. It's just not, you know. Right, right. And I think there, and a little bit of the problem, too, is like there is so many, so much talent is crammed, packed into that show. And like, if you whittled it down to like, geez, I don't even know how many talent is featured on each program of Dynamite, but it's a lot. And if you were able oh, to whittle it down yeah. to like, I don't know, like just off the top of my head, like 20 people or something, like featured total, yes. uh, then well, you, you he know, gets one of my, uh, one of my, when I was talking to people when they were, when the Wednesday night, we were both running on Wednesday night, you know, excuse me, I said, you know, the difference, the main difference between these two shows, I can watch two hours of AEW, and they run so many people through the, through that, and so many angles, and so many factions, that at the end of the two hours, I know I saw some, but I couldn't sit there and tell you what I saw. Right. The difference in NXT is it comes at back at you at a slower pace. And now, there, uh, NXT to me was my go-to uh, until they got the thousand-year-old sensei, and then that oh, kind of that kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know who, who's writing that stuff, but they they need to find a job at a gas station or something. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just you know uh, it's a slower-paced show, and and that's it's it's. One of the first things that, as a trainer, and any other great, uh, Tom Pritchard, Rudy Gonzalez, Al Snow, uh, Rip Rogers should tell you, one of the things we say to kids is, slow down, slow down, slow down, right? Right. And, and that's the other, that's, to me, Dom, uh, two guys in a wrestling match is like a human book. Mm -hmm. And to, for you to read a novel, or me to read a novel, or anybody, uh, you can't flip through the pages at 100 miles an hour. You'll pick up a word, a paragraph, a sentence, but you won't get the story. you got to turn those pages slow enough so we can read the content and follow the story. And that's the other thing. I know there's a lot of spots, a lot of big bumps, more than I care to see, and it's not telling a story. It's just pops. I mean, you can make a story out of something, but the match itself is not telling the story like it should now uh champa and the big german did you see it walter no i did not but i heard so many good things about oh it. my god now the best show and i don't I, never mind three hours <laughs> the best show i have seen that i in my remembrance for this year was uh nxt's first night of stand and deliver, stand and deliver. it was two hours five matches they all flowed, and it was it was a solid show. I was, to me, the way I could uh, judge is if I get bored or I want to go fast forward or something, or I'm thinking, God, I don't. Uh, but if I if I'm drawn in, then I think they're doing the job that I can respect, right? Right. And I, right now, to me, uh, some of the stuff on the program is not the best in the world. 
But I think Roman Reigns is the number one heel in the business right this today. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, the first thing that caught my eye a number of weeks back was when he was he and Adam Page, uh, or Adam Pierce were playing. You know, when, uh, and that's the other thing. Adam, of all the goofy, uh, evil commissioners or the clown commissioners that that company has had over the years, uh, not because he's my friend, but he is. Adam Pierce is the best damn official. I mean, because he comes across as you know, as real, as legitimate, right? yeah, mm-hmm. and a character, yeah. But uh, yeah, but when I saw him and you know him and Roman and Usos wandering around behind uh, Adam, and I'm thinking, and I, now I'm moving up on my seat a little bit. I'm thinking, what, what are they going to do? And, and I'm all this, then I realized, damn, Les, they got you. Right? <laughs> Yeah, it's you know a couple guys say this, and I'll say it to you. Sports entertainment is not professional wrestling, and professional wrestling is not sports entertainment. Exactly, exactly. You know, never the twain shall meet. Well, I shouldn't say that. You can combine the both, and and should, but um, I don't know. It's just uh, it's all kind of crazy. I think. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is. And, you know, no, it's I think Roman's doing just an amazing job as a heel. And it's obviously, too, it's been such a long time coming, like, you know, where he was, you know, Vince was shoving him down her throat left and right as a baby face. But it got to that point where, like, you give him that and you could tell, too, you could tell he would just fit that role as a heel. And he's I think he's exceeding expectations, even from that perspective. I think he's doing such a good job. And I like the dynamic between him and Heyman, where Heyman's almost a subservient to him. And like, uh, and you know what? I never thought of the Usos as one way or the other. And they were just, you know, they were two athletes and two wrestlers. And okay, but Jay Uso has stepped up. With yes. this whole thing too mm-hmm. and has done a hell of a job but I you know intermission to me the key to Roman is he says very little it's his facial facial expressions his body language the way it's these you and I were talking about this before we recorded details 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 right. which is missing when you're concerned with how many rotations you do off the top rope or see if we got 67 false finishes in or we got 68 i don't remember but anyway uh yeah that's that's what's missing across the board is details i agree with you Uh, is there somebody in particular in AEW that uh you see do the details that is very good at it oh there's some guy there well you know what here's the thing and i i I say this to everybody the the young guys that, that if i do weekend camps or when i had Heartland Wrestling Association you came in the door to start me. I said, look, I'm going to teach you the proper fundamentals and basics of this business. Mm-hmm. Okay? But if some, in this, today's climate, if somebody offers you high six figures or, or seven figures to act a fool, forget everything I said, and take the damn money. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Because it's a, it, it is a business, right? Uh-huh. It, it's like... I might say, I hated that, and, and you might say, oh, you didn't like that guy. I said, I don't know that guy, It's but he didn't think this angle up or this, what he's doing up himself, somebody told him to do it, right? Right. So, I mean, it's, it's like you buy a car from me, and the car is not what I tell you it is. You can't blame the car, you got to blame me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's the same thing. I see a match that I think is nonsense. It's whoever wrote this match or booked this match or put this together is the culprit it's not the guys in the ring necessarily right exactly 100 percent. 
So, no, it's it's very crazy. Uh, I yeah, it's something to very I when you see the details get played out, whether that's on WWE, AEW, or something like that, it stands out because it's so often we talk about it like how quick and like overwhelming having you know those matches so fast and so like you're jam packing so much action into so little bit of a time that uh you cannot register a lot of it but i something that you're i'm able to keep track of is when somebody pays attention to those little subtleties or details in facials like roman does or you know whether you're in a match and certain like that i think uh Mar- marcus my brother and i on two dynamite dudes our aw show we talk about like how somebody like a, a ricky starks is very good at showing some subtleties and stuff like that but um, I don't know. It's it's definitely it's a lost art and it's a frustrating art because I don't see it as often as I'd like to. <laughs> no, I well, that, and and the problem is it's everybody trying to be what everybody else, what they see. Yes, Not, you know nobody wants. It. Well, you know here's a here's a crazy thing. I think uh, it, and it's going to end up costing uh, the industry at some point. I believe. Um, <clears throat> Right now, you can watch wrestling almost every night of the week, right? Right. Okay. This is not the first time this has happened. Mm-mm. When I was a small child, when I was a kid, when I got hooked on this business, when I was nine, ten years old, uh, and on our little black and white ten-inch screen in Cincinnati, <laughs> I could see uh, I see wrestling from uh, WLWT in Cincinnati. I could see wrestling WLWD in Dayton, but I also saw Marigold Gardens in Chicago. Uh, St. Nick's Arena in New York, uh, Hollywood Legion Stadium in L.A., and Texas-style wrestling also. Wow. Right? And, of course, I was hooked and fascinated, and, I, you know, that's how I got hooked in the business. But, as I've told some young guys here recently, I said two years later, all those shows weren't there anymore. Yeah. Over saturation. Mm-hmm. It's very true. And I, and I think that's and, and here, you know, and I don't have the money to set up and run a national promotion. I'll never have, I'll never live long enough if I live to be 200. But, um, you know, the crazy thing is now, if you, if you and I sit down here, we had, we could take a, a tour through all the TV shows, all the wrestling programs that are major. Mm-hmm. And the thing that you're going to see, if you, if you're really trying to, you know, cross the T's and dot your eyes. Most these shows are all the same anyway. Right. Bad comedy, a lot of bumps, dives, and 9,000 false finishes. Mm-hmm. Too many false right. finishes. So many. It's yes. That's frustrating. Too mu- well, too much across the board. I don't care what company. You pick a company, and I'll tell you, they're doing too much of the same thing over and over. Example, uh, when, I, when I do uh, Q&A sessions with kids, I'll, I'll mention sexual things occasionally. Because with young guys, that testosterone, he gets their attention maybe a little better than saying top wrist lock, hammer lock, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, but, but I'll say to these guys, okay, uh, you, you, if you have a, a, a steady girl, a living girlfriend or a wife, I said, I want you to stop and think. Do you remember the first time you saw her naked? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course they did. Yeah. I said, do you remember the 200th time? Don't bother to answer. Because your answer is the same as my answer, the same as any. No, the answer is no. Why? Because it's become complacent. I've become complacent and it's become commonplace in my life. It's not that I don't love my wife. It's not that I don't enjoy it. But I don't see the same, you know, I don't look at it the same way. All right? 
Let's change that over to how many friggin' dives do you see on a one-night show? How many false finishes do you see? How many of the same bumps, the same stuff? So, uh, well, you know, I remember when uh, Funk and, and, and Terry and, and Flair did the first table spot that I ever, ever saw. I popped. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. If you yeah. break a table, Dom, I'll say, okay, oh, oh, um, thank you. <laughs> He'll so, get it back up I in, mean, like, 20 seconds. <laughs> eight, eight million tables later, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's the same way with the false finishes and the dives. I ran uh, uh, I ran a uh, one-year one tournament in L.A. for a guy in 2012 and 13. Had some great talent. Guys like uh, Adam Cole and, and Gargano and uh, Chase Stevens and, uh, well, I'm sorry to say Pepper Parks, but that's Blade. I, he started with me, too. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of good workers, right? And the tournament had 36 matches. Uh, We had some other matches too, but the tournament itself had 36 matches. I allowed three dives in 36 matches. Wow, that's the... They actually were going to mean something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? And the thing I tell these young guys who think you must do at least a dozen every week is that nobody asks for their money back. The point is, you are supposed to be in charge if you're in that ring. That's the way I was taught. Right, mm-hmm. I'm running the show. Those people out there are going to stand up when I want them up and sit down when I want them down. Right? Yeah. And or that's the way it should be. It's not that they're calling the shots. And that's I've seen that so much in the independent shows too. Right? Yeah. Where uh, these kids are doing are, are maybe trying to wrestle mat wrestling, which please do that. Uh, and some some idiot fans say that's boring, and right away they get them start running spots. My question is, was that the booker yelling at? I don't know who it was. Well, then what the hell were you changing your, your pacing or why were you changing your match? Right. Yeah. They bought a ticket. You're supposed to be entertaining them, them not entertaining. Or they're not telling you how to entertain them. You tell them how they, you know, that's the way it's, I mean, and the, and when I say that, I, I don't mean to sound, well, I hate to, I, we wouldn't be, it wouldn't be in us. It wasn't for the fans. And I, and I enjoy, uh, you know, uh, schmoozing with the fans and, and you know exchanging uh, conversations and, and the fan fest it's, it's fun yeah. oh, you find idiots you find idiots and everything but uh, they're not running my business you know right. they're not telling me how like, Les here's the way we want you to work your match what do you do for a living oh well I'm an accountant well let me tell you how I want you to account well you don't know how I, you're right you don't know what I'm doing either so <laughs> Well, it's too. It's like you look at the you know major league sports, whether it's football or MLB or NBA or NHL. You know, fans will bitch and moan about you know what their team's doing, and some you can make a strong argument for a lot of those teams don't know what they're doing, but like they still know the business more than they do. So if you were, I could I could fantasy book my. I'm a New York Jets fan. I could book what I want for them, and uh, that team could be way shittier than what they were even last season, two and two and fourteen. So it's like. You know, yeah. I, I, and as a football fan, a pro football fan, I can tell you I like this guy. But some insider can tell you probably three reasons he's not as good as I think he is. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's our business is the only business where, uh, you know, I've got Ric Flair's autograph. I went to one WrestleMania and I collect tapes. Now I'm a promoter. <laughs> now I'm a booker. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, welcome. That's good. You know, you know, I, 
I, I have a sarcastic sense of humor. You may have caught on to that. Oh, I, I'm I'm right I, with you. Know, you. Kids start, I've, I've said to kids before, I said, when they start thinking, tell, acting like they know what they're, you know, I know this bit. I said, you watched it, and now you're telling me you understand it, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I said, you know, I've been watching doctor shows since Ben Casey, which you wouldn't, you know, aren't even old enough to even think about back in the 50s, and I've Dr. Kildare and every other, you know, doctor show in the world. Will you allow me to perform surgery on you? <laughs> they'll look at me like they think I'm nuts, right? I yeah. go, wait a minute. You watch wrestling, and now you tell me you you can book it, you can, you know, everything. <laughs> Why can't I be a doctor? I watched. <laughs> I watched, I know. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I'm a doctor, too, because I watched a lot of shows. For all these years, I've been watching Doctor Show as hell. Give me a scalp, man. You know, well, it, it's our business. It, it, you know, that's the crazy thing. I mean, everybody has their opinion about baseball and football and basketball, and they the, as they say, the Monday morning quarterbacks, right? Who's smarter than the head coach, and, and that's going to carry on. Oh but yeah. Our fans are more adamant that they're smarter than we are than any other fans anywhere. I think. You definitely can, yeah, I, I really do think that's the case, too, because even I'm looking from a sports fandom thing, yeah, you know, there's that there's that distance, almost. And, and then you also have, I'm even a comic book fan, so even knowing that, like a lot of uh, the comic nerds, we appreciate, you know, when there's good storytelling. But when it comes to wrestling, it's like, they get the front row seat, they pay a ticket, and then they think they, that we are there, we know everything about it. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, just, exactly. Yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, what I also wanted to mention, I'm sure you've told this story a thousand times over, probably maybe even sick of it, but I haven't heard it yet, uh, is how did you guys develop the first wrestling t-shirt with the Briscoe Brothers? And uh, I know Jerry Lawler was the illustrator, right? But can you talk yeah, about yeah. the whole process well, of that? Actually, and what it came actually I, you know, I came up with the idea, you know, uh, Back in, back in the early 70s, you know, well, T-shirts kind of first started in the late, you know, in the 60s, you know. I mean, when I was a little boy, you, there were two kind of T-shirts, uh, white and clean and white and dirty. <laughs> it was just the only kind of T-shirt you could get, right? Yeah. So and then they became colored T-shirts with, ink, you know, all the, the stuff on And so I'm thinking, wow, this should work for wrestling, right? And, I mean, at the time, all we were selling was uh, glossy black and white 8x10s. You know, at a buck a piece, mm -hmm. for Christ's sake, you know. I mean, we made a few bucks, but still, that was the only merchandise, if you want to call it that. So anyway, I thought these the pictures would be a good idea, and I had mentioned it to a couple promoters, and they weren't in it. You know, oh, God, that's, you know, no, no. So Jack and Jerry Briscoe and I were sitting around uh, just shooting the breeze, drinking a couple beers, probably doing something else, I'm not real sure, <laughs> but... And, and just talking about the business and about, you know, life in general. And I, I, you know, and I mentioned, I said, you know, it's really frustrating because I think this thing with the T-shirts is a good idea, you know, and I feel like it should do something. So we, and Jack says, well, why don't we do it? I said, what? He said, why don't we, let's all put our money in and we'll go with it. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, cool. So that's how it all started. And I uh, got a hold of Lawler to do the, uh, it's, it, you can actually get a copy of that first t-shirt at Pro Wrestling Tees. Yeah. Briscoe Booster. Uh, it's a, uh, Jerry did the uh, pen and ink drawing, 
Jack and uh, Jack and Jerry, and uh, charged me the damn absorbent price of twenty five dollars. Holy smokes! I wish smokes. I had the original artwork today. I don't know what it'd be worth, but I'm sure it'd be worth a couple hundred anyway, wouldn't it? Oh, at the very least. <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. So anyway, you know, we got started, and uh, the first uh, Jack, of course, was was run around the country. So Jerry and I were both based in the Carolinas when we first started with him. And so we took, I remember the first night we took shirts, it was Fayetteville, North Carolina, and they bombarded us. I don't know how many we sold, but we sold a bunch. So anyway, it started to grow a little bit, and uh, we got some advertising out. Then I was uh, mid-70s, I was between Atlanta, uh, working with Gordon down there and, and during the war and in the office and, and wrestling, and then Charlotte as well. So. Uh, we put an ad in the Atlanta program, which I was handling, and the Charlotte uh, uh, little—it's actually just a, uh, a, a, a six-page uh, thing at the time when it first started before we got to the big magazines. But anyway, we got some advertisement out. I was writing some columns for uh, our teacher and uh, Wrestling News, and he'd run an ad. So now we we weren't great businessmen. We were charging three dollars and fifty cents for these T-shirts. That's a screaming right? deal. <laughs> If you're lucky, if you're lucky. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I teased Jerry. I said, maybe everybody's making all these money off these damn shirts. should be kicking back some residuals to us since we started this whole damn thing, right? Right. But, yeah, long story short, I mean, some of the arenas that wanted such a big piece of the action, we just didn't sell it, right? But then finally, the promoters see, oh, those guys are doing it. This is not a bad idea. Now, we want a piece of the action. Well, the building's getting a piece of the action. Jack, Jerry, and I are splitting a piece of the action. And now the promoters want a piece of the action. <laughs> so at this point, we just sold our, what we had in stock and, and because it, it, it ended up with, with nothing for us. You know, like I say, because it, we didn't have that much profit built in. Yeah. I think the shirts at that point, uh, Dom, uh, at 350 I think we were we were probably making uh, $250 a piece. I think the shirts are probably running us about a buck, buck and a quarter. Printed and everything. That sounds you know, something right. like that. Yeah, it does. But, but like I say, I remember Norfolk, the scope in Norfolk, Virginia, they wanted 40%. I thought, are you people out of your mind? <laughs> I mean, if somebody's making a t shirt for free, we'll give you 40%. But since we have to pay for it, <laughs> there's a little thing called money and making a profit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, well, I'll tell you, we almost, uh, the Hebners, uh, the, you know, the referee, the twins. Uh huh. think what's old is new again too because when i look at that shirt i like it's it's cool looking it's still cool it holds the test of time i think and because uh, i think what's neat about it is just it's simple gray and then it's just black and that's it you know um yeah and then yeah. a nice illustration of the Briscoe brothers i think it's awesome <laughs> so um yeah i do too i'm real proud of 
of those suckers. Yeah. And you know, it's that's you know, I, I feel uh, over the over the sixty one years, I I've been innovative in the T shirt and the training and magazine and the television and um, I'm trying to think if I missed anything. <laughs> I don't think so. So I, you know, I, I feel uh, I feel real good about my legacy and about what I've given put into the business. Uh, certainly been stronger than what I've taken out. Take my word for it. Oh my gosh, I think so a lot too. Uh, was there? Well, you talk about that too. Is uh, we talked about this off the air? Is the Brian Pillman Memorial? And uh, yeah, you having your your hands all over that. And the DVDs are are they coming out or are they available now? Uh, well, uh, Joe's taking orders. We we actually have Joe came up with a good idea. We have three. This is the third of three projects that we've done. And let me explain them all to you. Uh, he thought, let's do uh, Wrestling in the Heartland, the Lost uh, Developmental mm-hmm. uh, Territory. What he meant by that is everybody talks about OVW, everybody talks about the Tampa operation or the Atlanta operation. And what's HWA? Well, that's, you know, what did you guys ever, well, let's see, we had a guy named Umaga, a guy named Rosie, we had Jamie Noble, we had Shannon Moore, we had Charlie Haas, we, we had, we had, we did really well. It was just at Lance Cade, yeah. uh, so forth, so on, right? We had a hell of a crew, and plus the guys that started there. And so anyway, um, what we did is we, there's volume one and volume two. Uh, there are two disc sets, Wrestling at the heart, in the Heartland, and they can all be, uh, you can get them in the same place you get the film, and I'll tell you where that is in a minute. But these are all uh, about uh, six hours total in the two, two discs. Uh, Joe does basically the play-by-play over, and I talk about some of the stories behind the scenes, you know, and, and some of the guys that are drinking. And now on the Heartland, uh, You'll, you can see Nigel before he was a star. You can see uh, Cena before he was a star. A lot of guys before they were stars. Plus, I, in my in my crew at HWA, I, I had Val Venus, Nilo Brown, and Haku. So I had, had Brian Adams. I had a, you know I had stars as well as uh, the guys in developmental. So uh, th- both of those uh, packages, Heartland One and Heartland uh, Volume Two, are available. It's uh, over six hours of content. And uh, we we talk over them, you know, like I say, the history of HWA and so forth and so on. And then the Pillman, uh, you know, Brian was Cincinnati boy, right? So uh, when he passed, we just I don't know, we said, you know, let's let's run a little, little. Here's the key word: a little memorial show. So that's how it all started out. And we the first show in '98. Uh, we got the Norwood Junior High School gym, which is where Brian lived and went to school in Norwood, Ohio. Mm-hmm. It's a subdiv- as a municipality right damn near the center of the city of Cincinnati. But anyway, so that's that's where it all started. And it was, you know, a bunch of guys got together. And, well, Austin, Jericho, Benoit, Sonny, Candido, Al Snow were the major stars of that first show. Yeah, and now Austin received in rest. The first main event was uh, Jericho and Benoit, and uh, we in that high school gym. We turned away. We were nobody was more surprised than I was. We turned away between four and five hundred people. Oh my gosh! Uh, and had thir- uh, around thirteen hundred people in there. Had the place packed. So there had never been. Any, I mean, when we this is going to be a one and done, right? Yeah. And after 
I got some sleep and I'm sitting half, uh, half worn out anyway at my desk at the gym. And I thought, let's do another one. Why not? <laughs> you know what? I mean, the feeling of accomplishment was, that was the thing too, right? We didn't know what, we, we set a little show, right? And we ended up at 1,300 people. And uh, like I say, we turned four or 500 away. And plus the, uh, the Polaroids with the stars and the whole thing. So this grew. We went to 99 to Cincinnati Gardens, which has now been torn down. I don't know what the hell they're putting in place of it, but it's been torn down. And uh, in uh, 2000 uh, and 2001, we ran four shows. And uh, some amazing talent, amazing matches. Well, if you've seen the Benoit Regal match, I'm sure you have. Most people are like wrestling have seen it. Have you seen it? Um, no, I don't think I have, to be honest. Now I have to put well, that on the list. It's on the Benoit uh, DV, uh, you know, uh, collection. Uh, but, of course, they've stopped putting that they out. They forgot that, that he's alive. Yeah. Uh, or well, he's not alive now, but, you know, that. let me say this. Uh, Chris and Nancy were dear, close friends. And uh, I, it was a heinous thing. I hate it. Uh, if Chris were still alive, I'd tell him the same thing. But I can't forget how he treated me. Sure. And, well, Nancy as well. I've known Nancy since she started the business with Kevin Sullivan. And uh, but anyway, uh, this guy—I don't care what we're talking about wrestling. This, like O.J. Simpson with football, right? Right. This man, in my sixty years, one of the best damn wrestlers I've ever seen in my life. Period. Yeah, I you know you look at you see his yeah. uh, you go back and watch it. It's just like there's yeah. no. I was a huge fan of his, you know, huge fan yes, of his. So. My, me as well. But anyway, he was in uh, the first three main events of the of the film of the four. He, now he and he and Regal had such a great match at the 2000 show. It's it's out there and it's on. The, all those matches are on these DVDs we're talking about. The filming right. for uh, for this set. Uh, they tore the house down. I use it as a training tool. Tom Pritchard used a training tool. Uh, these kids see it, and they—it's a wrestling match. It's a struggle between two athletes. We had two thousand people in the building at uh, the, the third filming show, and it was hot. And if you if you watch it, turn the volume up. You'll hear a couple of idiots actually yell, "Boring." Oh my gosh! Yeah. Because they're, well, they're they're wrestling, right? Yeah. They are they are wrestling. Before this match is over, all two thousand people in that friggin' field house were on their feet. You'll see you'll see idiot me uh, at the end of this match jump up on the apron because I had been back by the sound people a good twenty five yards or more from the ring mm-hmm. at the time. But as the the crowd, I mean, being an old wrestler myself. I knew what was coming, right? They're gonna, they got these people by the short hairs and they're taking them for a ride. And I wanted to be in the, I wanted to be a part of it, right? So I'm down, now I'm down by the, by the apron dealing. And when, when they hit the finish and the people exploded, I, I got up on the apron and I grabbed the microphone and I said, you know what? I, I know, I don't know what you watch on TV. I don't care what you watch on TV, but ladies and gentlemen, you have just seen one of the best damn professional wrestling matches you're ever going to see right here, right now. <laughs> and uh, you see me hug Benoit on, on camera, uh, congratulated uh, Regal, uh, you know, later on. Uh, but yeah, what a hell of a match. Holy what a hell of a match. Well, I'm putting it at the top of my list. Been, that would have been my main event for the final, fourth and final filming. In fact, I had my, you know, 
Pillman uh, two oh one, the return. Benoit versus Regal. That I had my T-shirts planned and everything, and of course, then Chris had to have the neck surgery. Oh, damn! Yeah, That's and right. uh, and Regal Regal called me. William called me, and he said, "Les, he said, you know, I want to help out as much as I can." He said, "But the match that you want from us, the match that we had last year, I can only have with maybe one other person. That person not even in this hemisphere." He said, I, I will come, I will help you in any way I can, but I feel it would be letting the people down and more importantly, disrespectful to Chris if we re- if I wrestled. I said, I agree with you 100%, and he came, and it was like one, you know, uh, one of the VIP guest uh, hosts, that sort of thing, like Steamboat and Flair had been before. Uh, so anyway, that's the only reason. Benoit would have been the main event in all four of the Pilmans had he, they have made that fourth one. How about the that? The second one was he and, and Malenko against uh, uh, Ray Ray and uh, Conan. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I remember looking at that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, something always special happened. Uh, uh, Brian Hildebrand, uh, Mark Curtis, that was the last uh, that we, you know, a few months later he was gone. Right. Uh, I was going to ask you about DK. You had Go your. Ahead. Did I'm you sorry. have your? Oh, that's okay. Did you have your hands on that memorial to Brian Hildebrands? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, what we did after Brian passed, he was a dear friend of a bunch of. I mean, Jericho, me, Benoit, uh, Guerrero, uh, Malenko. God, we were all tight with him. Uh, what we did this uh, in uh, the day before the Pillman in two thousand and two thousand and one, mm-hmm. we ran the Brian uh, Brian Hildebrand, Mark Curtis fantasy training camp where yeah. the kids could guy and come and, and train with like uh Malenko, Steamboat, Ben you know, and uh cut a promo with them and have lunch, right? And yeah. That, that sort of thing to help uh, uh you know uh Pam his his widow out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that we, we did those on the day before the uh two thousand and the two thousand and one building. So yeah, we were involved. Oh, okay, great. Uh, and helping with that too. Yeah. Oh, he was, I mean, I remember, you know, seeing him as Mark Curtis, obviously, in WCW and stuff. And then um, just going and then realizing, realizing later on that he was from Pittsburgh and stuff. I thought that was super awesome, too. And he was such a yeah. good, he was such a good referee. And I hear all the, how great he was, too, as a manager and all that stuff. Yeah, he was, you know, the hell of a little worker, but he was just too small. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 He and, he and his wife had come up uh, to... Uh, well, Northern Kentucky, one of the first shows that we ran for HWA, uh, you know, uh, we were running over north, across the river in Northern Kentucky, and he and Pam had come up just basically to sell some gimmicks and, and uh, some Smoky Mountain memorabilia and stuff. So anyway, we had, we came up short a guy, and so Brian says, I've got my Ninja Turtle stuff out in the car, <laughs> and of course, anybody knows my reputation, they'd say, oh, let's shit all over that. Well, I didn't. Because I needed talent, <laughs> and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't shit on gimmicks if they're decent, but yeah. if they're just gimmicks because you can't work, yes, I do tend to take a healthy crap on them. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so then the kid he's going to work with now is like six four and two seventy, right? And so when I tell the kid you're working with <laughs> with Mark, he's looking at me like, okay, if you've lost your mind, haven't you? The crazy thing was when the kid came back, he comes up to me with his eyes big and he said, 
we had a hell of a match. <laughs> I said, I know. <laughs> I said, I know. Just because he's small and a referee doesn't mean he didn't know how to work. Well, you know, he trained with uh, Mick and, and uh, Shane Douglas and those guys with Danucci. With Danucci, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he sure did. But yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, Brian was just a beautiful person. He really was just an amazing, amazing human being. And I miss him terribly. And uh, yeah, he was just, just, just good, good, good people. It's, yeah, it's such a shame too. Like, cause it, what, was it, he like just late thirties? Was that how old he was? Yeah, yeah, he wasn't very old at all. He, you know, Jericho said one time, he said, you know, uh, Brian can watch the worst match in the world and he'll find something good about it. <laughs> hey, you need the optimism. Like, you need that optimist and the in guy that. day and age, he need, if he were around today, he might not be able to say that. That, you know. He may see so, so much bad stuff, he'd say, oh my God, this is not. I don't need more of that. Heck, you think about it, though. Uh, he, if he was still around, maybe some of the business might be changed, too, with what he could have yeah. done, you know? Yeah, that's oh, true, too. Man. That's true, too. But yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and that's the thing, especially for me, uh, at my age and, and my background, the last few years, uh, a huge portion of my career has passed on and they're buried now. I mean, it just this past, I mean, uh, Furpo. Uh, Perry, yeah. I, I worked with Furpo the second year. Uh, in, first time in 1961. Pat Patterson the first time in 1961. Uh, Harley and I wrestled the first time in 63 and became friends. But I mean, uh, I've, it, it's really affected me. It really has, you know, because uh, the kids today just don't understand the camaraderie that we had back then. We were on the road every night. You know, we, we were with our tanking partners probably more with our families for right. the most part, you know, and it was just a, and so, and this past uh, year, Tracy Smothers died on my birthday, and, and Tracy was one of the youngest guys that I've known for, God knows, 20, 25 years, I don't even know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then when uh, Danny Hodge, that really hit me. Oh, that was, that was like, was that the day after Christmas that happened, or on Christmas? Yeah, Christmas. Christmas it was Christmas, Day, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, I know. Yeah. Oh man. And he and his, yeah, he and his wife, and, and uh, my wife and I, you know, uh, at like the mobile reunions and stuff, sat together. They were just wonderful people. But I'd work with Danny, which was a, a, a night off, and, and, and I'm proud to say I, I did it, and it was a pleasure. But more so as a human being, he was just one of the sweetest. You know, it's it's so crazy. Harley was just a teddy bear unless you push the wrong button and Danny the same way. Yeah. You know, they could be lethal as a rattlesnake if you push the wrong button, <laughs> but you'd never know that until you did. You're right. <laughs> I just interviewed, um, Trevor Murdoch and, uh, we were talking about oh. Harley and, uh, just how, how, you know, how great of a, he was a father figure to him. He, he basically. Oh, said, I know. Yeah. Oh, I know Trevor too. Uh, has Trevor still got his bar in Eldon? That I don't know. And I didn't even know he had a bar. <laughs> well, yeah, he bought. Well, uh, when when uh, the, when Harley started doing the the, the one week uh, Noah tryout camps, yeah, okay, I did the first couple of years with him. Uh, Steamer and I did the first year, and the the bar where we went for lunch and, and for evening uh, repast after training uh, was friends. Uh, that Trevor bought that right. It's, it was wasn't like two blocks from where Harley's school originally was in Eldon. Oh, and yeah, Trevor. Trevor bought that. I, I don't know if he still has it or not, but yeah, he bought that. 
Oh, maybe I'll, so, can, I'll send him a message or something and ask and see, see if he's still got that kicking. And if you're, yeah, talk to him, tell him I said, hey. I definitely will. I definitely, he was so, it was yeah. such a fun interview. Oh my gosh. And just down to earth and, you know, he just knows the business working under Harley and stuff. So it's, yeah, it yeah, was really yeah. fun to pick his brain. Well, you know, Harley with those kids, um, if, if he spoke seriously, you better listen seriously. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you didn't, you would. You know, he and Steve and I, uh, we call it elite pro wrestling training, uh, but we did what we called super camps, three day camps together back in, uh, 2002, 2003. And it, actually it's out of print now, but we did a training manual. Uh, JR, Jim Ross did the forward, Alex Marvez edited it and oh. is involved in it. And it's called the professional wrestlers workout and instructional guide. It was put out by sports publishing. LLC, and you can still get it on uh, Amazon. I'm pretty sure. Oh, really? I might. I, yeah, I'll scoop so that up. It's three. Yeah, the three of us put out. It's it's a, a try. I'm proud of the diary. I really am. It's pretty thorough. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. That, oh man, yeah, that's definitely. <laughs> I'm gonna have to definitely add that. To, I've been a big wrestling book collector collector for quite some time yeah. now, so I got to add that. Oh, the let, me, let me tell you about the, the two Heartland two disc sets and the Pillman four disc set. Uh, to play, you can get those. You can stream those as well. But uh, you can go to Joe Dash Dombrowski, okay. D O M B R O W S K I dot com, or Pro Wrestling Library dot com, and you can buy the the DVD set, or you can stream it, or what have you. And he started taking orders on the Billman thing uh, this week, and they should be shipping next week. And actually. He just posted uh, a little while ago on Facebook and Twitter the uh, cover Ooh. for the uh, four disc set, the filming cover. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna add that to my list too. I like, and you know what? I, I do stream a lot of stuff, but I do really like having hard copies of things. I don't know. Just me too. I've got more. Well, <laughs> my friend, my one of the things working with Joe Dombrowski for me, he took a lot of my VHS tapes and put them on disc. Oh, hey, that's great, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, he's, bless his heart, yes. Uh, he, you know, he's done that for me. <clears throat> but that's, uh, yeah, I, I'm real proud of this film. And, well, I, I was, let's face it, I was proud of the four shows. And, and it's not just me. We have, you know, realize every wrestler on those shows worked for free. Yeah. Uh, WWE, WCW, and ECW paid for the plane tickets that were needed. How about that? We supplied the hotel, food, uh, and so forth. And uh, but yeah, the, and, and then on the two, you know, I mentioned uh, the Mark Curtis camps. Uh, the guys at work is so those last two years, some of the guys were there for two days, and those were their days off. You know, wow, just putting in and, the uh, for the people that helped me locally in Cincinnati. We started having our committee meetings like seven months before the show every Monday night because I was, uh, HWA was, was closed on Monday night. So that's when we'd have our committee meetings, but you know, we, with transportation and hotels and all that. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I obviously couldn't have done it without those great people that help behind the scenes as well as, as the great stars, you know, willing to give their time and, and effort. So, and you'll see some great matches on her besides Bill and Benoit. I could imagine. I mean, Bill and Benoit. Benoit Regal, I'll spit it out in a minute. But yeah, we, uh, they, they were they were a labor of love. We had a lot of fun doing them. And, you know, it was so tiring. I, I, I was burned out 
and, and want to sleep for two days after they were over. But I was so happy because they were so, uh, you know, they went so well. We ended up for the Pillman Foundation. We raised over one hundred twenty thousand dollars over the four years. That's amazing. That's amazing. Holy smokes! Wow. I gotta ask, why did was there a reason it stopped? What what happened exactly? Was there something that that you guys just decided to stop doing it? Uh, well, actually, it just it ran. Um, you know, she had remarried mm-hmm. at this point, and of course, it, part of it was to help the family. Right? Sure. Yeah. And of course, she had remarried, and so many of the guys that were coming, at, you know, were, had come every year, and it was their days off, right? So they're flying in, and given their day, and then fly, maybe flying home, change clothes, then back on the road again. So it just came, and I think I thought we had melted probably for as much as we could get out of it, honestly, mm-hmm. you know. And, and of course, the first the first three years, the big draw was Dom that we had WWF. WCW and ECW stars all under the same roof on the same night. Right. And that's the only place you could see them. Yeah. On yeah. the same, you know, on the same night in the same venue. So that was, I mean, you couldn't do that anyplace else. I mean, they never wrestled one another, but I, I will tell you this, you know, the great, these, it was never talked about. I mean, I, you know, I, of course I had other things to do besides just hang on the dressing room during those shows, but in and out and everything, the guys never, never sit down, well, I'm going out there and have a better match than you. But the guys were, but everybody went out there and busted their ass, you know. And and it was underlying a little competition, too, I think. Oh, you know? absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I could think yeah, that. But, but, yeah, but they uh, they were they were great. You know, they were good. They were fun. Uh, like I say, we had the options, you know, uh, JR's, Stetson. Uh, a, a woman's gown, uh, somebody's robe, some this, that, the other thing. Um, you know, it was, it was. They be, they became so big. I thought, my God, I, I had no idea when we, you know, decided to do the first one that they would grow like that. Holy smokes! Like I say I'm proud of the people that put them together, and proud of the outcome. I really am. I and I don't blame no less. I mean, it's amazing too. And like, seriously, like I knew you made the first T-shirt, and I knew you had your hands on a lot of stuff in the business. But even looked like just prepping for this interview here, I was like, damn. Les did a lot of shit here. <laughs> you did a lot of stuff and a lot of yeah, firsts. You know, I've said I've done, I've done a lot of things in this business. The one thing I haven't done is get rich. <laughs> it's a little late, a little late for that. But but I will take all the contributions I can get. So, <laughs> I, I would love to be able to. So I said, when are you going to retire? I said, when you see him drop the box in the ground, you'll know that I'm done. <laughs> and then you'll know. But I tell you yeah. what, Les, that's the way to do it because I mean, you work with young people, you feel young, you know. That's how I, I hope so, my brother. I, I surely, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's helped me. My health has been good. I'm still a gym rat. I, 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 I work out Sunday through Thursday. Uh, Fridays, I do a podcast for the Observer. Yep. So Friday morning, so I can't be in it. But, I, you know, I'm in the gym usually about between 7 and 7.30 in the morning. And, well, you know, I, I did competitive bodybuilding, too, from age 46 to age 54. Well, you did it then. I saw you did bodybuilding. And I did not know yeah. you did it in those ages. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I was working. I was working with uh, pro bodybuilders and amateurs, and uh, had wrestled. You know, I, I hung the tights up at age forty, and uh, but I was, you know, still working out and working with you. And I thought, well, I want to do a show just to say I did one, right? Because I've I've helped other people on their diets and their training schedule and stuff. I want to do one. 
Wow. And the mistake was I won my class at the first show I ever did. <laughs> so 13 more came along over seven years. And then at 54, I said, enough's enough. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it, though. And uh, to pull the John Elway and end up on top. <laughs> Just Something on. like that, yeah. Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, I got to ask you this, too, before we close out. What, uh, I'd imagine, being from Cincinnati, are those your teams, the Bengals, the Reds? Uh, or no. You, no? Okay, no. what are your teams? <laughs> no. I've been a Dodger fan since Brooklyn. Oh, wow, seriously? Yeah, I was I was a catcher uh, during my Sandlot as a kid, right? Uh-huh. I, I was a catcher, and so Roy Campanella became my role model. Oh, he was great. Oh, my gosh. Number 39, yeah. And everybody said, well, you're since a bench. I said, listen, nobody be talking. If, if Campy hadn't have been in the car wreck and, and been paralyzed and in a wheelchair— we wouldn't be talking about Johnny Bench. We'd be talking about Roy, Roy Campanella. Campanella. I mean, oh, I love Roy. Do. Yeah. And, and the, I started to say the Redskins, but the Washington football team. <laughs> With was, well, you know, actually, the, uh, the Cleveland Browns initially, because when I started following pro football, that was Otto Graham. I mean, there was no Cincinnati Bengals. In fact, Paul Brown that started the Bengals was the head coach of the Browns. Of the Browns, yeah, That's yeah. Who, they were named after him, yeah. And then the Paul yeah. Brown Stadiums from for the Bengals. <laughs> so yeah, this, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And his son is so tight fisted. I'm surprised he got uh, Burroughs, who I think will be good if they get him some receivers and some protection. Oh man, so. it, how he started off too that last season! I was like, damn, yeah. they got they got well, a winner you know, there. I'm glad to see them do well, and I'm glad to see the Browns do well. Uh, but you know, like I say I uh, Dodgers. Washington, and now uh, the Celtics. I was a, I, I'm a frustrated short guy who loves basketball. <laughs> but when I, well, I broke into business in Boston in '60, right? Yeah. So I got to go to the old Garden and watch Bill Russell and the Dynasty play. Yes, yes, that's yes. uh <laughs> that's legacy yes, stuff that, right there. Yeah. Oh, I've I've got a I've got a, a fan gave me a brick from the. Uh, with a plaque, you know, it's from the old Boston Garden when they raised it. Wow, man! Yeah, man. You know, uh, you know, I'm I'm a I'm also short, and I am a basketball fan, and I rode the pine many many throughout my high school career. So <laughs> I feel the frustration. Yeah, I played, <laughs> yeah, I played from fifth grade, <clears throat> excuse me, to my junior year in high school. But you can't beat height even back in the fifties. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, he played in Middletown, Ohio. Uh, they were the state champions. He uh, that, that team was so good. I, I think they went almost a season and a half undefeated. Holy so, smokes. But yeah, yeah, played against. Uh, and, and, and now here you're like this. <laughs> you said you're a football fan, too. Oh, yeah. In my Cub Scout baseball career. That's right. I started playing organized sports when I was seven years old. And I, I played uh, two years could go on and, and uh, play in the higher leagues and so uh anyway uh in the cub scout and in, in the east west all-star game mm -hmm. uh, i was a starter at first base and the outfielder for the uh west by the name of roger Staubach was in that game too what holy crap <laughs> <laughs> damn wow yeah. Rubbed elbow with some fancy people, just never got to be one. <laughs> right, right. 
I tell you what, I got my brother's gonna love that story. He's a Cowboys fan, so uh, holy oh smokes! Oh my god, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, then he and I are mortal enemies, then, right? <laughs> yeah. If you want to set, if you want to send me a message, I'll be happy to relay it to him on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, what is it? What's that place where you you, you pay guys to get on and and. Uh, Say nasty things about your brother. Oh gosh, cameo, cameo, <laughs> cameo! Yeah, hire me. I'm not on there, but hey, I can get on there for the right price. Now. There you go. <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, before we go, I do want to say one thing. Sure. I am. Uh, I am. I still take uh, weekend training camps. I still can train. I, I'm obviously I'm 80 years old, but I'm in good health. It's hands on. Uh, and uh, if you're interested, I, I've, I've worked with the Monster Factory. I've worked with all the top trainers in the country. Nice. Uh, and, and have done these things. You can reach me, Les Thatcher28 at gmail.com, and I'll be more than happy to send you the information. But I will say this I, if, uh, weekend camps, which entail, you know, Saturday and Sunday, mm-hmm. um, I would tell any promoter if you give me a crew of guys and they listen. I will send them home on Sunday with some tools that will help their performance. That I will guarantee you. Absolutely. That's great, too. And, like, yo, Monster Factory, uh, Danny Cage, I, I had a podcast with him for a brief time. He's great, too. He Like, so many, there's a lot you can learn. Oh, he's, you know? no, he's not either, Dom. He's a joysy guy. I pick <laughs> on him. I said, Jesus, you're, you are definitely joysy, aren't you? You cocky son of a gun. You cocky son of a gun. <laughs> yes. He said, oh, man. I said, yeah, kid, you're right. I am an old man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I get along with Danny. But I, I've been up there to some of his uh, big camps, super camps. Actually, those when he started, I was, uh, first time I was up there by myself, and I said, you know, uh, this guy in Charlotte is doing these things with a fan fest. But I said, you've got the facility here. And so uh, he started doing them. And I know it's crazy. We had... Uh, one time it was me, uh, Doc, Rudy Gonzalez, uh, Shane Helms, mm-hmm. and we had like 80-some kids, and they were from all over the country. They were. I, I enjoyed doing those. I do. That had to be a thrill. Yeah, that definitely has to yeah. be rewarding to do. Man. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Wes, Les, I'll let you go with this. So uh, my editor typically does this uh, watch list, it's called. He did it for the pandemic when people were like, when there's a lot of downtime, he'd ask an interviewer or interviewee uh, what three matches. Now, they can be your own or they can be any matches that you'd recommend uh, for some people to watch. Uh, pick, pick a few matches that you'd feel like that you'd want a fan to walk away from this interview or go and watch. Uh, I could imagine that one is uh, Stephen Regal versus Benoit. <laughs> I use that as a training uh, match. I also use Buddy Rogers, Pat O'Connor from Comiskey Park, the, the world title. That was a record crowd of 40,000 yeah. in 1961. I, I recommend that one mm-hmm. as a training tool as well. Rogers was my childhood idol. He was great. Did you re- did, Have you picked up his book yet? Uh, no, I have not. I want to get it. Yes, I do. I, I do too. I heard very good things about that book too. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, so have I. So have I. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a picture of me with Buddy at the old music hall in Cincinnati when I was 12 years old, for Christ's sake. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, wanted my, I wanted my mom to bleach my hair and she wouldn't. Thank God. <laughs> Thank because goodness. Back then, uh, a 10, 11 year old kid with bleach hair, I'd probably been a 
fight in the schoolyard every damn day. Right? So, <laughs> every damn period. Huh? Every damn period. <laughs> yes, something like that. So she did me a favor saying, nope, I'm not, I'm not letting you bleach your hair for Christ's sake. But anyway, that Rogers O'Connor, that's that's a great match too. That's a great match. Uh, now, this one is not a famous match, but it these guys tell a hell of a story. Dickie Steinborn, Tommy Sigler, 1973, Gunkel Promotions, Atlanta Television. This is during the war. Uh, and but, but I've worked with both these guys. They're both talented. But it's a baby, what we call the babyface match. In other words, nobody's throwing punches or kicks. They're wrestling and switching holes and going back and telling a hell of a story. That's also a very good match. Okay. Oh, I'm, I'll mark that one down too. Yeah, no, that's yep. that's great. I wanted to definitely do this for you because I was like, if anybody knows a whole string of matches, it's Les Thatcher. So <laughs> I appreciate uh, Yeah, you know what? I've seen, you know, it's the site. So I who is your best opponent? I, I said, hell, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've been blessed to work with so many great people and seen so many great matches. I mean, just say, you got to pick five people. I said, forget it. Shoot me. I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't just pick five, I don't think. But yeah, those matches that we just thought, those three uh, are, and, and they span a hell of a time too, right? 61, 73, and 2000. Yeah. So, you're getting you're you getting know, all eras from that, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. And you can see the good sound basics in all three matches. Right, absolutely. You know that's that's the that's how you the name of the game right there. <laughs> so yes, sir, it mm-hmm. sure is. Well, Les, thank you so much for joining me. Um, how how do they follow you on Twitter and all that stuff? Anything else you want to plug? Uh, no. Well, I say uh, lesthatcher28 at gmail dot com. If you're interested in booking me for, I can do one day seminars. I prefer. The weekend camp simply because you can get more time. Right. And the kids will benefit more from that as well. Uh, but uh, no, you know, the two Heartland, uh, uh, Wrestling at the Heartland, the Lost Developmental uh, Volume 1 and 2, you can also get those the same place you get the Billman at joe-dobrowski.com or prowrestlinglibrary.com. And uh, I get a piece of the action, guys, so I can, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Help an old man survive. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or, or just send checks. That, that'll work as well. <laughs> that works too. <laughs> yeah. Tom, I've, enjoyed, I've had fun with it. Oh. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, we'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. Let's definitely, I, unless there's plenty more we can always talk about. I'm more than game for that. 100%. Yeah, we still haven't hit on everything, have we? Oh, no. Magazines or television. Uh, the innovations in those. We'll cover those the next time around. Okay? Let's let's do it to it. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks for All listening. Right,